0: Have your Bible Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 31 tonight. We're going to get back in to some stuff tonight. I hope is enlightening. I really do. I really do. Some of these things, it took me years to learn. Matthew, chapter 12, verse 31. Wherefore, I say to you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven to men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven. And whosoever speaketh a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world, neither in the world to come. Lord bless your holy word now. Amen. You can be seated. Now, how many of you believe this Bible is alive? I mean, really. And it's alive with a life unlike your life. I mean, we are vulnerable, but this is a life. This is a life that is God's life. The word of God is quick. It's alive. All right. Is Genesis alive? In other words, the Tanakh, as they say in Judaism, they don't call it the Old Testament. If they say the Old Testament, that's a, a um, tacit agreement that there's a New Testament. They don't buy that. But the Old Testament's called the Tanakh, and he said, search the scriptures, He said, not one jot or one tittle will pass. So the Old Testament is alive. It's the living word of God from Genesis to Revelation. Do you believe that? I believe that, folks. I believe it. I believe the Bible's alive. I believe in the inspiration of Scripture. And I certainly do. I don't, uh, you know, I'm not duplicitous. I'm up here telling you something that I believe. What I say, I believe. And uh, so I believe the Bible's alive. Now, that's very important because it'll bear directly on what I'll be teaching tonight. First I brought to you the scripture was the unpardonable sin. We preached about that this past Sunday. What I understand the unpardonable sin to be is when you have been spoken to by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come to you. And the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart and to your soul, awakened in you the need for salvation, brought conviction to you, and you have rejected the voice of God, literally, because the Holy Spirit's God. By rejecting the voice of God, under full understanding that you're a convicted sinner, that you know you need to be saved, you're not an ignorant pagan. You're not in some foreign land where you've never heard the gospel. You're talking about someone who has been uh, subjected to it, who's been who's been uh, who's seen it, heard it, and you reject that. Then that's the uh, unpardonable sin. Now, men like to skim around on the surface. They like to have uh, they like to have easy definitions. They like to have things that that makes sense physically uh, to their their carnal mind in order to understand God. The Lord deals in a much deeper sense than that, folks, much deeper. And so uh, this is what I'm going to be getting into tonight. The sin unto death is found in 1 John chapter 5. Christians can commit the sin unto death. It does not tell you what that sin is because it's not a specific sin. It's a state of being once you arrive at that place. Then there's sending away the day of grace. There's a number of illustrations of that in the New Testament. One was said, "I'll build greater barns," and he said, "Thou fool! This night thy soul shall be required of thee." That's sending away the day of grace. Brother J. Harold Smith, that I have the greatest respect for, that loved the Lord, uh, preached God's three deadlines, and he talked about these three things: the unpardonable sin, the sin unto death, and sending away the day of grace. Now I'm going to give you some things tonight. Look at Mark chapter number 10 because we're going to compare scripture with scripture. And by doing this, I think we're going to learn some things. Mark chapter 10 and verse number 17. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Note your scripture now. When he was gone forth of the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? All right, that's a simple question. I want eternal life. Now look at the answer. Jesus said to him, why callest thou me good? There's none good but one, that is God. Now we could get into a long thing about the righteousness that he created while he was here on this earth, and that's exactly what he's referring to. I'm a man, the God man, and I will prove myself. But until then, there's one. Verse 19. Thou knowest the commandments, now watch this, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. He answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. He didn't rebuke him for that. Undoubtedly, he had. All right. So we're going to get another commandment, and we get that commandment, that's going to get him saved. That's the way it's read. A superficial reading. Now look at verse 21. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Now the Lord Jesus is not at all interested in something that he would do. He's interested in reaching his heart. You get this? I want you to compare that now. He told him, what did he tell him to do? One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor. Look at Luke chapter 10, verse 25. He gives a different answer. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up, tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And here we go. He said unto him, What is written in the law how readest thou he answered and said thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy heart all thy soul with all thy strength with all thy mind and thy neighbors thyself he said unto him thou hast answered right this do and thou shalt live Wasn't well, the thing about selling what he had is there now is there a contradiction here well if you're shallow reading of the scripture you'd say well he told one man to do one thing and another man to do something else no What he told the men was simply this. This is your problem. I'm looking at your heart. In order to have saving faith, we have an issue. That's what's going on here. Look at Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter number 19. Is one man saved one way and another man saved another? Are there 15 different gospels in the Bible? There are 15, there's a bunch of different dispensations and issues that a person is supposed to know and is supposed to understand and believe, depending upon what time they're alive on this earth. But look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. Now look at this. Then answered Peter, said to him, Behold, we have forsaken all, followed thee. What shall we have therefore? He said unto them, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the, re- in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, Ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake. Now look at this. Shall receive an hundredfold, and and what? Shall inherit what? Here we go. Everlasting life. Here we have three different answers to these people. When they come to him asking, What can I do to have eternal life or inherit eternal life? He didn't tell them to do three different things in the sense that what you do is going to save you. He analyzed their heart and spoke to them about the problem that was plaguing them in their faith and trust in God. That's what the issue is about. You can be baptized, my dear friends, till, you know, as the old timers said to you, you know, over tadpole and every creek here in East Tennessee. But folks, if your heart is not right with God, that water is not going to do one thing for you. The Bible said in Romans chapter number 10, for the heart man believeth unto righteousness. So here's what God does. He says the word of God is quick, all right, and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow. Now this is what's important and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, when the Lord Jesus, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12, the writer there, the inspired writer, when he wrote that, what word of God is he talking about? You remember what I asked you at the beginning of the lesson tonight? You see, much of what was said in the New Testament, there was no New Testament extant at that time. It didn't exist. It didn't exist. But what did exist... When he said, search the scriptures, he's not talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's talking about Genesis through Malachi. That's inspired scripture. That's alive. So in plain Words, the Bible teaches that if you read the Bible, if you read the scripture and allow the scripture to speak to you, it will search your heart and your reins, right? Now, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question tonight. If that be true, and it certainly is true, then why would God add something to that to get you saved when it's simply this? The word of God is searching your heart and your soul and your reins and your being. Why is he doing it? He's doing it so you can be right with God. That's why every Old Testament saint that ever lived had his heart and his soul searched by the word of God. And if he was willing, according to the scripture, to come to God according to what the scripture teaches, there's no problem. No problem whatsoever. If his heart... Wants to be right with God, it will be right with God. That's the issue. And this is what's going on. Now, did that help? Can you build on that tonight? Because we're going to try to build a little bit on it. Certainly you can. That helps. That helps me. Someone comes to me and says, Well, you have to keep the commandments to be saved. Commandments won't save you. Get your heart right with God and you'll want to keep the commandments. The church is full of people who want to keep commandments, but they don't want their heart to be right with God. Do you realize how many billionaires in this world would give you a million dollars if they could buy heaven? Why, of course they would. If they could walk into a church house and uh, and put a million dollars in the plate and live any way they pleased, but know that that million dollars bought them eternal life in heaven, you'd be surprised at how many do it. Problem is, it cannot do that. You can't buy heaven. You can't buy eternal life. You can't do it. He that searcheth the hearts and tries the reins. Yeah, try me, O God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. Do you know who said that? The man after God's own heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. In plain words, David said, I'm not qualified to really search my heart. It takes God to reach deep down inside your soul and show you what your problem is. That includes Preacher Lawson. All of us. We're not capable of that. But in our arrogant, rebellious pride, we say to God, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like other men. Especially this publican smiting his breast. What's he doing in the building the same time I'm in here? I'm so much better than him. What's his attitude? In plain words, this Pharisee had searched his heart with his own human ability and not finding any problem therein because you see, we have a tendency to cover up certain things, justify certain things, push certain things aside, and so forth. How many agree with that tonight? You better believe it. That's what's going on inside us. But the publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner, wouldn't even lift his head toward heaven. Why? Because the word of God had spoken to him. And the Lord said, this man went down to his house justified. That's right. And that's what I'm trying to get across tonight. Do not trust your mind and your heart to keep you right with God. Trust what God says to keep you right with God. And the only way that can be done is by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God is absolutely so necessary for our walk in fellowship with the Lord. And so, therefore, we must not grieve him and we must not quench him. Now, we have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called synoptic gospels. You, hear, you seldom ever hear me use that term because that's a, that's a man-made term. It simply means that Matthew, Mark, and Luke essentially join together in one synoptic view. In other words, sin to bring many views that come together together. The synoptic view of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they say John, even some of them say John, is not even inspired because it's so different. John has a reason for being in there, a big reason. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, especially Matthew, when it talks about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven over and over and over again, the Lord, it's the Sermon on the Mount, uh, and they like the Sermon on the Mount. They like part of it, not all of it they like part of the Sermon on the Mount because of the, because of the Beatitudes. The Beatitude means the blessing, 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 blessing. Well, I'm all for people being blessed, but I'm also, I'm also for getting their hide busted every once in a while, too. We love our children, don't we? If you love your children, you know it's not going to always be here, 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 here. There's going to be a time you have to chasten them, right? Of course you do. Uh, there's a term for that. It's called tough love, <laughs> Well, I found out what God's tough love was. <laughs> He's worked me over more than once. So what do you do when God works you over? What do you do when he chastens you? Get mad at him, puff up, and run? Or do, you, or do you draw nigh to him and say, Lord, you know better than I know, and I know your motive in doing this. I may not know it right now, but I know your motive is love. I may not know the purpose. It may, it may take a while, but I know your motive. It's love. So the synoptic synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, talk about an earthly kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, an earthly reign of the Son of God as the Son of Man, as he refers to himself many times. But by the time the Gospel of John is written in 90 AD, this is all long past, because they've rejected the Messiah, and they've rejected the kingdom of heaven, and he even told them when he was here, he said, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. And there's nothing in the Bible that tells you that that's ever changed. This is why he told his disciples to buy a sword. He told them to buy a sword because the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. I guess you can tell by that that I'm not a pacifist. I don't like war. I don't like war. I'm not a warmonger. I despise war. But as long as we are in this world living as fallen creatures, we're going to have war. We're going to be at each other's throats. It's going to happen. It's, it's unbelievable. It is literally mind-boggling to think of what Hamas did to those Jewish women and those people over there, October the 6th, wasn't it? When they When they came up out of their holes and raped that country. But they did it. They did it, and, and, and that's not original, and that's not unique. This is the kind of thing that's gone on and continues to go on. What men do to each other. It's horrible. It's absolutely horrible. And so what are they fighting for? What's most of the fighting for? World War I was started because the, uh, the, the, the uh, Habsburg dynasty, the, the, the Austrians, they wanted to take Serbia. They wanted to reach in. They, they, already, they had already taken Bosnia. And they wanted more land, more land, more land, more land. World War II, Hitler, I forget what he called it, but he wanted more land. Something about breathing room is what the German term meant. More land. They want land. They want the earth. They want the earth and they want its wealth. They'll take the wealth. As you know, the history, you know what colonization was about. All right, the colonies. The European powers come in and they overthrow a country or simply force their way in, and they make the people subservient to them, and they grow they grow corn, they grow sugar, they grow this, they grow that, and they sell it on the market. All right, that's colonization. All kinds of evils from colonization, no question. All colonies aren't alike. These 13 colonies right here in this country were colonies of Great Britain, and it wasn't like that. But still, the bottom line is that you have a superior power that wants to come in and take what someone else has. What do you think Putin's doing in the Ukraine? Have you noticed? Now, of course, I know there's some technicality involved there, they say there's a lot of Nazi sympathizers there, and that uh, in the eastern part especially of the Ukraine, and he's trying to wipe that out, and I, you know, I'm no expert on the Ukraine, but I know that it goes back uh, to World War II, and the Nazis, as you know, the Germans, Operation Barbarossa, they sent over three million troops into Russia, even after Hitler and Stalin had signed an accord over Poland that they would not attack each other. And when Hitler saw the opportunity, he seized it and he went straight into Russia. And for a while, he overran everything in front of him. So that's all. You know, you, I don't, no need to say anymore. And what goes on in the country? What goes on in churches? What go, Same thing. Uh, it's power. It's struggle for power. The suffered violence and the violent take it by force. All right. Now, having said all of that, this has to do with the kingdom of heaven. Who are we tonight? This is the body of Christ. Is that not who we are? Certainly. Exactly. The body of Christ is not made up of a bunch of bodies, physical bodies. The body of Christ is made up of a spiritual entity. Every last one of us that are born of the spirit of God, those people watching right now on the internet, they're our brothers and sisters. How big is that church? I have no idea, but I'd say it runs into the uh, hundreds of millions or even possibly billions on this earth uh, are members of the body of Christ. But it still has to deal with this violence and the violent take it by force. So when you get to the Gospel of John, things change. The Gospel of John is different. Bullinger, how many's ever heard of Ethelbert Bullinger? Some of you have, well good. He says the word believe shows up 99 times in the Gospel of John more than twice as many times as it shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. There's a reason for that. The word light shows up in the Gospel of John 23 times, according to Bullinger's Companion Bible. The word life shows up 36 times in the Gospel of John. The deity of Christ is attested to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10... 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 times, and maybe even more in the Gospel of John. In plainer words, it's all about his deity. John chapter number nine, what did he say to the man born blind? Dost thou believe on who? The Son of God. When you start reading your Bible, get into commentaries, you'll find out that most of the Bible colleges in this country and many of them are fundamental Bible colleges, do not believe that John 9 is inspired where he says, dost thou believe on the Son of God? And therefore, when you get into their commentaries, they won't list that as one of the places in the, in, in the Gospel of John that attest to his deity. That's one of the strongest in the New Testament. It came from the Lord Jesus himself who said, dost thou believe on the Son of God? Who is he, Lord, that I might believe? I am he, the one talking to you. I am the son of God. So why would somebody want to jerk that out of the Bible? See what I mean? And the only authority for taking that out of the scripture would have to be manuscript evidence. And of course, you know, we've talked enough to you about that. Manuscript evidence, where these Bibles come from, where the Greek New Testaments come from and all of that. What authority do they have? I believe that John 9 should be in the Bible. Yes, sir. And one of the the reasons is this, because the gospel of John is all about the deity of Christ and about the new birth and about the body of Christ on this earth and it's written long after the Jews have rejected the Messiah. It's even written after the fall of Jerusalem. How many remember when Jerusalem fell? 70 AD, right? Certainly. So what have you got here? If Jerusalem has fallen in 70 AD, the Jewish people as a nation cease to exist. Obviously, they have no Messiah. And yet in in 1995 AD, you've got a gospel where the Lord Jesus is telling Nicodemus, and he told it during his lifetime, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not record it. Only John did. That is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, Spirit is to save that and say, no, I want that to come out later. And that's exactly what happened. John chapter number nine, it comes out later. You must be born again, John chapter number three. So they're preaching the new birth and the new birth is a big deal. John tells you in the gospel of John who the light is. Look at John chapter number eight and verse number 12. John eight twelve. John eight twelve. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. All right, hold your place there and go to John 1, 9. I'm not saying that I have an answer to this, but I'm saying I want you to see it. <laughs> I want you to see it. All right. John 1, Nine, that was the true light. What's the true light? It's the word that was made flesh. All right, now look at verse nine. That was the true light, which does what? There's not two lights, folks, there's just one. He lights every man that cometh into the world. Is that what it says? Of course it does. How do I understand that? Well, I understand it in the simple sense of the way it says it, but the, the ramifications are great because there will be a lot going on here. The gospel of John is, getting, is is written to reveal the light, and the Lord Jesus Christ is the light. Now, it tells you why men reject him. Look at John chapter number 3, verse number 20. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light. See how the light judges their heart? Neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. The church is full of church people who have been become members of that church who go there every Sunday and tithe their income, and they reject the true light of God. If you can get listen. You give a man a catechism to believe they'll they'll embrace it, they'll snatch it, and they'll frame it and put it on the wall. They will. It's like it's like everything else man made. They'll they'll put it out where people can see it. Their heart? Oh no! Forget the heart. See, forget the heart. But the heart is not what it, the heart is. What matters not what you got hanging on the wall. And the gospel of John, folks, is written long after the kingdom of heaven is rejected. It tells you that God is judging your heart by the light that you receive, and he judges you if you reject that light, and he tells you why you reject it. <laughs> Look at John chapter number 5 and verse number 44. Somebody said, well, a preacher it sounds like God's kind of hard to deal with. no. <laughs> He's not hard to deal with it at all, as long as you've got truth. How can you believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? You notice now what I tell you about the word believe? Can you find any place in the gospel of John where it tells you to be baptized to be saved? No, it's not in there. It's not in there. When we're up to 90 to 95 A.D., long after the kingdom has been rejected, there's not a word about being baptized to be saved. Somebody said, well, I was baptized. That's good. I've been baptized too. I've been baptized too. 1973, after I received Christ into my heart and into my soul, and I knew I was born again, I was baptized at Third Creek Baptist Church. Bill Cardinal baptized me. I was baptized when I was 12 years old by, uh, by uh, oh, Hall, A.G. Hall, A.G. Hall, Beaumont Avenue Baptist Church. Beaumont Avenue Baptist Church. We lived on Beaumont. I went to Beaumont Grammar School when I was 12 years old, and A.G. Hall baptized me at Beaumont Avenue Baptist Church. And after the baptism, everybody came down and shook my hand. I was wet, and we shook hands, and I was wet, and we shook hands. I went back and dried off and went back outside and continued to live exactly the way I had. Nothing changed, see, nothing changed. My grandfather went to the pastor, and I remember seeing him do that. He went up and talked to the pastor, and the next Sunday, the pastor came back and spoke to me while I was sitting in the pew, and the pastor said, son, wouldn't you like to be saved and be baptized? Yeah, I would, I would. So a 12-year-old boy got up, and I walked down to the front, and I got down on my knees, And a bunch of people gathered around me, good people. They loved the Lord and they meant well. And they prayed for me. And I thank God for it. But it didn't change my life. Why? My heart was not changed. Why? I was not under conviction. Why? The Holy Ghost was nowhere near. But in 1973, believe me, he was there. He was there. He turned the light on. He showed me what I was. He looked deep into my soul and said, Now this is what you are, son. This is what you are. You need to be saved. And do you know what I did? I didn't argue with him. I didn't try to throw up excuses and put walls in front of us, you know, and, and take back. What I, I, did, I never, one time did I say to God, Well, I was 12 years old at Beaumont and I got, no, I never said that one time. I said, You're right, Lord, I am lost. I'm lost. Lost without God. And sitting in a living room, I bowed my head and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And when I raised my head up, I raised it up in a new world. Amen, folks. How many people, how many pastors do you know, you folks out there watching right now by online? How many preachers have you sat under for years and never one time ever heard them give a real testimony to their salvation? And I give mine all the time. It's almost like they're offended. They're offended. One person commented underneath the. uh, uh, the, the thing that goes on on the internet, the YouTube ministry, and I could tell by, by what they said. They said, I agree with you, preacher. I was a dirty, low-down dog, too. And God saved my soul. But I could tell by the way he said it that he was talking about those who never admit that they're dirty, low-down dogs. Amen. So that tells me that maybe you've never been convicted. Because once you ever come under the power, the, gla- the blazing glory and light of the gospel of Christ, who illumines your soul and deeps, digs deep down inside you, my dear friend, you'll never forget that. And if you're ever born again, you'll never be different. You'll never all. You'll be different for the rest of your life. You'll never be the same. And I hope and pray that you hear what I say. It's been said. J. Harold Smith, I think, said it. Many other of his of his uh, of his generation. He said, I'm convinced that 70, 60 to 70 percent of the people sitting in the churches are unsaved. Well, that's thirty years ago. It's forty years ago. What do you think now? The church has been turned into a worship been turned into an entertainment center. Yes, it has. But I read a thing yesterday that said that contemporary worship's starting to die. So if you are, you know, if you're the head of a contemporary worship service, you need to start scrambling around and find something new. Because that's how you got them to begin with. You scrambled around and found something new. Yes, you did. You kicked out the old ways. You threw them away. You sure did. And now the new, the novel part has worn off and the flesh always gets tired and you got to give it something new. That's exactly right. Now I'll seek out the old paths. Christ does not have to be renewed. Once you ever get a hold of him and he gets a hold of you, you'll never be the same again. You'll never be the same again. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, John chapter number one and verse number nine is the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. John's gospel, therefore, is about the new birth, not about the kingdom of heaven. I believe today, honestly, if men who get up in the pulpit If they would start preaching the simple fundamental truths of who Christ is, who is He, and preach this Bible and preach it like they believe it, you'd see a difference in the churches today. I firmly believe that because people don't know; they've never heard. They they don't. They did a thing the other day. They asked this girl on the street, "Say, who was the first president?" What's happened? They've dumbed them down. Well, you can say the same thing for the church house. They've dumbed them down. You ask them about the new birth, they don't have a clue what you're talking about. Oh, God's for me, and I feel good about it. I have so many promises. All I have to do is learn how to apply these promises. What are you talking about, new birth? Well, that is the new birth, as long as I'm doing what God said to do. You know, I'm living my best life now. I'm in this, and I'm this this, and this, and this, and this, and this. That's not the new birth, folks. The new birth is to allow God to speak into your heart. Open up your soul and show you what you really are. And he doesn't do it to condemn you. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Satan is condemning. what, is, what does it mean? Condemn means that God, that Satan wants to bring you a pla- bring you to a place of no hope. He wants to put you in a place where you can you can't look up, you can't be saved. And he wants to condemn you and drive you on down in that. Conviction is to say, I love you, and I want you to see who you are. Christ died for you. He took all your dirty, rotten, low-down, stinking sins. He became sin for you who knew no sin, and he died on a rugged, horrible cross so you could be saved. Would you believe God or will you reject him? And that is the unpardonable sin. And there are people coming to church every Sunday, singing in the choir. There are pastors up in the pulpits opening up the Bible and so-called preaching it, who in their heart and their soul have absolutely rejected the voice of the Holy Ghost showing them who they really are. They convince themselves by saying, "Well, I wouldn't. I mean, man, I've been in the ministry all these years. I've been to Bible college. I've done so much preaching. I've helped people. I this. I this. The other. I know that's your problem, is I. That's your problem. That's what we're talking about tonight, folks. That's what this is about. It's about the gospel of John and the new birth. Did you know the word sin?" Shows up very few times in the book of Revelation. And did you know that the word sin never shows up one time in the Song of Solomon? One of the greatest studies that I've ever had studying the Bible is to find out what doesn't show up in some of these books. Because if I find out what doesn't show up in these books, I'm going to say to myself, now why is that? There's got to be a reason for it. Of course there is. There's a reason for it. Yes. I was 12 years old at Beaumont Baptist Church. After that, uh, 12 years old, wasn't too long after that, I went to rural high school, started playing basketball, running track, and grow, grew up into a young man, joined the military, gone off for four years, came back. But in 1973, boy, God came to me. Has he ever come to you? That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Did he show you who you really are when he came to you? Did he, when, when the Holy Spirit comes to you, he doesn't say to you now, I want you to search your heart. I want you to try to find everything that's wrong about you. I want you to get in there and dig deep in it. When you find all this stuff, I want you to lay it all on the altar and don't miss anything and don't forget anything. And I want you to lay it all on the altar. And if you'll lay it all on the altar, you can be saved. Hogwash. Garbage. You come to God and say, Lord, just as I am, as Charlotte Elliott said. There are many things I can't find in me, but I believe you and I believe what you did for me. And I know I'm a sinner and I want you to save me and write my name in the Lamb's book of life. Like the thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me. You'll be born again when you do that. Father, bless your word. Bless your holy word. We thank you. We've got your word. I hope the people understand, Lord, that I'm not up here preaching to them and as if I'm some kind of a high and mighty thing and pious with a halo around my head. Lord, it's the same book to me as it is to them, and the same word that searches my heart and tries my reins as it does theirs. And but Father, in the peace of my soul, the only reason I can justify being in this house tonight is to stand up here before the people and give them the truth. And that's what I, by the grace of God, is going to try to do, give them the truth while well, your heads are bowed and nobody's looking tonight I want you to pray if you're doubting your salvation and a lot of people are they do and there's a lot of different reasons why people doubt their salvation a lot a lot of reasons a lot of times people will compare themselves with somebody else in the way some other person got saved and they'll say well I didn't get saved like that maybe I'm not saved but you see that's a big problem there because if you truly are born again the Holy Spirit has moved into your life Now let me give you one of these things like the Bible. I shouldn't have to tell you the Holy Spirit is in your life. I don't have to tell any of you tonight that your heart's beating. (laughs) I shouldn't have to tell you the Holy Spirit's in your life. Because if the Holy Spirit is in your life, you're going to know it. And you never, ever come before God and say, Well, Lord, I know I'm saved because I've done everything I know to do. Doing has nothing to do with it. It's let him search your heart and your reins and come to him and say, Lord God Almighty, I need you. I need you. I need you. I need a savior. Save me. And he will. And he'll write your name in the book of life. In thy name I pray, man. God bless you, folks. I'm done. I'm done. Let's see you.